0: All right, have a seat and if you would uh, join me there in First John. First John is a letter there in the New Testament. It's uh, titled that because God chose to reveal His word, His truth, through people. He did it in such a way that it wasn't to in any way glorify the agent or the instrument, the conduit that his word was carried through. I believe he did it that way for us to basically in some ways relate to it more. So John, we know some details about his life. He follows Jesus Christ. We looked at that on Wednesday night a little bit here just last week. And God, for some reason, just said, hey, John, I'm going to bring truth through you and preserve it for history. And I believe it helps you and I that these are not high and lofty truths that we're somehow supposed to reach at and grab and attain, but we can relate to them because they come through a person who is just sharing these truths. So John was used pretty mightily, honestly. Um, God brought what we call one of the good news, the gospels, through him. We call it the Gospel of John. And as we can tell, even now, this letter that's towards the back of the Bible in the New Testament is given the title of 1 John, which makes you wonder, well, why, why that? And then you turn a couple pages, and then there's 2 John and 3 John. Like, oh, he was used by God to bring truth in, in three different letters. And then we know, we just recently studied as a congregation, the book of Revelation which he is also used in that point, and we're given details of some things about his life. So I encourage you to, to, to understand, you know, God, one of the reasons he's brought the word that way is so you and I would relate to it, and, and really in a lot of very functional reality, be able to receive the eternal truth that's gonna, it's gonna be brought to us by God. This is a letter of encouragement, a letter of instruction, It's a letter of warning, and it's written to an audience. Those who have believed the good news of Jesus Christ. See, the Bible teaches that we respond to God's offer of salvation. When we respond, he he introduces, he brings to us this gift, this, this gift of forgiveness, if you would. When we receive that gift, when we believe that Jesus is God, the Bible says that we are born again. We experience something that it's hard to put into terms if you have a religious reference, but the Bible says it's we are regenerated. We, we didn't just clean up our act because we got a little older and realized we needed to do something different. It wasn't a, a discipline and effort on our part exclusively. We responded to what he brought to us, and we're born again. And I, the reason I make this an emphasis is because we're going to see that when we're born again, then, then God, at that very moment, he indwells us. It, it's actually what, what the Bible teaches us. It's the person of the Godhead, uh, one God triune or this triunity of God. There's three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God. When you're born again, when I'm born again, when we receive, when we, you know, it just comes to us, we agree with God, we're born of the Spirit, we're told, born again. At the very moment, God, that person dwells or resides within us. This is important to understand as we read and study the Bible because you can't just figure it out. You can't just decide to go to some studies and do some things and be somewhere on Sunday morning and think that you'll grow spiritually. If you're a spiritual infant, which is what someone who's born again is initially, they need spiritual food, nourishment, and instruction. We can agree on that, I'm sure. You know, a physical child, when they're delivered, when they're born, I guess they're not delivered. The mom is delivered from this. She she evicts this child that got too big to stay. So when this child is born, you don't go, well, I hope they make it. You know, you physically, you bring them nourishment. You give them care. You give them instruction. And I believe that's why God uses the terminology and conveys to you and I this experience, is you can't raise yourself. You can't just figure it out on your own. There's a very important need that you, as a born-again person, as a Christian, we need to recognize that God is the one that teaches us. I want to give you some support to that, and it's going to tie together because we're going to be looking in the Gospel of John as we work through the letter from John. And I want to look, if you would, join me in John chapter 14. We're going to toggle back and forth from 1 John over here to the Gospel of John a little bit today. So in verse 25 of John 14, we have an interesting um, conversation. It's actually Jesus bringing to his disciples, his followers, those that had a very unique experience in all of history, really, because of where they were in history. As God, in his perfect foreknowledge and perfect timing, came as a savior to humanity, took on human form, he engaged physically with those around him. We call them the apostles. They were ones who were given a specific uh, calling on life, quite honestly. Their experience is different than yours. they seen Jesus physically manifested in human form. You didn't. They walked with him. They ate lunch with him. They got up when he got up. They, their life was a little different. But he reveals truth to them that are for you and I as well. We see in John chapter 14, in verse 25, Jesus is, is speaking things to them. He is just days, hours, it really, from the cross. They're going to have a horrific happening. They're going to see something terribly brutal and just breathtaking, just scarring them. They're going to see their Savior nailed to the cross. And he knows that. And he's telling them that he's going to go to Jerusalem, but they don't, want to, they don't want to hear it. But he's comforting them. And he says to them, these things, verse 25, John 14, these things I've spoken to you while being present with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. So we see Jesus giving them a glimpse of the things that are going to happen. Things that are gonna change and be different. He's telling them, I'm gonna depart. That's why I made that emphasis about their relationship being different. And there'll be another, a paracletos, one just like me will come alongside you, the helper, the comforter, and he will do what? He won't draw attention to himself. He won't make people come on away going, oh, the spirit did this and the spirit did that. He will guide you in all truth and bring to your remembrance the thing that Jesus said. So it's really important because as we study the Bible, we want to understand that. And he's he's saying that so that we can realize God teaches us. We see, if you glance over just a little bit uh, to John chapter 16, a continuation of this topic as in the same flow in the conversation with his disciples, carried on and brought forth to you and I, in verse 13 of chapter 16 of the Gospel of John. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come... He will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take up what is mine and declare it to you. I say that because as we are studying 1 John, 1 John was dealing with some false teaching that's present even today the implication was the physical didn't matter, or if it did matter, as long as the Spirit led you, you could do anything. So as long as you just said the Spirit led me, then you could do anything. But here's what the Spirit doesn't do. The Spirit doesn't lead you in contrary to the written word. It doesn't contradict the written word. And we see it today in some false teaching. It was very prevalent even in the first century where people go, well, the spirit led me to do this. The spirit put on my heart to do this. And if it's a violation and contradiction to the written word of God, what spirit led you? You have to ask that, seriously. Because we can talk ourselves into anything. Realize this, I'll say it in, in, using a pronoun, speaking of myself, you, you just put your name there if you want to. My counsel is the worst counsel when it's the only counsel. In other words, I can talk myself into anything. And it's actually, most of it's brilliant. It's fantastic. Until I verbalize it and something happens when I take it out of my mouth and I share it with someone else and it ricochets off them and comes back in my ears and I'm like, sounded kind of dumb, didn't it? I'm like, no, it is dumb. You know what I mean? I mean, but see, here's why we want this counsel, we want to, the wisdom and the multitude of counselors. We don't want to say, well, as long as the Spirit's leading, no, the Word of God, which is where we're going to look here, it's, it's reasonable to expect to grow and mature in this life spiritually. You're new. You're born again. It's reasonable, correct? It, it's expected. And if that's the case, how do we grow? Jump with me now. Back to 1 John chapter 2. Let's read verses 1 through 11. And uh, I want a longer first service. I'm trying to to see what we'll uh, delete, but we may just be going longer two services. Let's see. Let's just read verses 1 through 11, and we'll pick it up from there as we go through. I've laid the foundation that we need to learn out of Proverbs 1. I've referenced who the teacher is, to a born-again Christian, to a believer. It's God himself and the person of the Holy Spirit. And now we're going to see how he directs. Our lives will be different if we're born again. Beginning in verse 1 of 1 John chapter 2, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Now by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Verse 5, but whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as Jesus walked. Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have heard from the beginning. The old commandment is from is the word which you heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. All right. We're told in verse 1 there as we work through now, just back through that passage, these things were written to you and to me that we may not sin. In other words, that as you're born again, sin has a different, um, you have a different awareness about sin, agreed? If, if you could say, oh yeah, I, I'm born again. It happened in junior high. It happened at this event. It was at this get together. I, I accepted Jesus into my heart. And you're still okay with sin? If sin means nothing to you, because you know God forgives me. He understands my heart. He knows what I'm going through. If it's okay to just sin, you're not born again. Now, I'm not going to debate with you doctrinally, and I'm not going to get into anything. It's just the fact is, if sin is still okay to you, then the Holy Spirit's not convicting you of sin because he's not residing within you. And that's just really what this text is teaching us. Let's not just say, yes, because of this event or that practice, you know, two decades ago, two weeks ago, 20 years, whatever. Let's realize, the Bible says, there's a, a, you know, God's desire is we do not sin. And I want to to make sure we stay in the context and flow through this passage. Because God's desire is the best for you. And it's important to remember that. He, He desires that you and I wouldn't sin. Why? Because sin messes you up. Seriously. Going against God's design for your body, God's design for your life, messes you up. You could take a vehicle and you could drive it to Pine, right? You got a vehicle, a nice ride, it's comfortable, it's quick, you enjoy it. But then you decide to take that vehicle to Trinity Mountain. And somebody advises you, listen, a 2021 Chevy Corvette should not be taken to that particular place. You shouldn't travel that road in that Corvette. It's not a good idea. That vehicle's not designed for that. Like, oh, get out of my life. You're just trying to ruin my day. I want the view. I love the adventure. I can go where I want to go. It got me up to here. It got me to there. It's it's fine. Why are you trying to just ruin my day? And they drive it up to Trinity. If you've ever been up there, there's no way to get there without encountering three-fourths of the rocks on this planet. So there's no way. So you, you just tear the vehicle up. And then you complain to the manufacturer that the vehicle fell apart. I'm a vehicle. You're a vehicle. And when we're not functioning according to God's design and we tear it up, are you going to blame the boss, the maker? You see, God's design, is the, he desires the best for you. He desires that you know him and that you grow in the relationship. We're told in verse 4 of chapter 1 that these things were written that your joy may be full. That's why God gives us instruction, not to rob us or rip us off or keep us unhappy, but rather that we would understand his desire is the best desire for us, the best design for us. So that means you don't ever, don't ever sin, somewhat errantly say. No, no. You will sin in this body. You will not attain or arrive or achieve sinless perfection in this frame. It won't happen. I know some teach it, but the Bible doesn't. We're, we're to be perfect, but well, that word speaks of complete. And you notice if you read the same chapter, I'm, verse I'm reading, so that you may not sin, and if anyone sins... Well, oh, wait a minute, make up your mind. I'm not supposed to sin, or I can sin. No, see, you don't frequent sin. I don't enjoy sin. But when I stumble, when I fall, when I sin, notice what it says, that you, you, we have an advocate with the Father. An advocate. We're not called to continue in sin. We're called to be aware of sin. When you do sin, call it what it is the biggest lie you tell yourself is never spoken publicly. The most damaging lie I will embrace or even consider is one that's kept within. When I tell myself it's okay, when I do things a certain way and say it's not really sin, you know, we already covered it. We covered it last week. It's very simple. If we confess our sins, which means we agree with God concerning what it is, we recognize that he's right and we're wrong in regards to this area of our life. We confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's bringing us into an agreement where we understand that he knows what he's doing. God is not mad at you when you sin. He is your advocate. That's a word we're seeing more frequently, i say, in the last... Maybe two decades, or at least 10 years, an advocate. Somebody may, went through, may go through a tough time. and Maybe they've got themselves in some civil trouble in the community or maybe even criminal behavior. Or they're just kind of, just kind of messed up. And they, they need an advocacy group. And their advocacy group, group, an advocate that maybe even would go into court or go before an authority or speak on their behalf. An advocate is a defender. One who comes to the side of another in a time of need in order to help. Do, do you see what we see here? God is your advocate in the person of Jesus Christ. He's not mad at you because you sin. Sin in your life hinders fellowship but does not break the relationship. It's so important. It does not break the relationship. The Father is still your Father. A son may disgrace his father, but he's still a son by birth. That's why I took a little time to start out with mentioning, you know, Jesus, I mean, the Bible teaches very clear, we see it in various places, that you must be born again, born of the Spirit. And then the Father is your Father, and he will continue to nurture you. Now, sin, we know, can interfere in the intimacy. It can hinder the relationship. You don't want to go talk to somebody when you've done them wrong. You avoid them. But it doesn't stop you from being, for example, in the father-son relationship. So it's really important that we re- understand that he is our advocate. It says that he is an advocate with the father. It could have said Jesus is our advocate before God. It's letting you know. Now, those are, these are terms that are relational that Jesus, that God, God chose to convey to you and I so that we would understand. He could have said he's the almighty. Would that be true? Absolutely. He could say he's the everlasting God. He could say he's the, he's the unlimited creator. But God in this portion of scripture chose to convey to you and me relationally, he's the father. And Jesus is the advocate. It's kind of like the accuser of the brethren is present. It, it, the Bible tells us that's the devil. He's daily before the throne accusing people. Oh, well, you know, that Dan, he did this and he did this and he did this. And Jesus says he did, he did. He's totally guilty, but I paid for that. Put his problems, his name on my list, I've covered the cost, and then their charges are removed, and the penalty's fully paid. See, that's where advocate carrying you into the next verse, propitiation. We're told that he himself is the propitiation. Propitiation is a word you don't hear on the street too much. It means makes atonement. He pays the price. Um, If you think of atonement, you can break that word down, at-one-ment. Jesus is the sacrifice that made us at one with God. So he paid fully, completely, the price that was due of a sinner. He paid that debt. So he's not only the one who, in a sense, is is for us when we're struggling, but he's paid the debt that we could never pay so that we could have a life that we couldn't have had without it. The propitiation, not only is he ours, the one who paid our debt, but notice also for the whole world. Some have mistakenly interpreted this to mean that everyone goes to heaven. This is not what this text tells you. It says that this this propitiation, this advocate, this work of Christ is also for the whole world, meaning whoever shall believe on the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. Meaning it didn't hinder, it didn't restrict, well, I will give the gospel to a guy like Paul, because he's going to work for me. He's going to love me. He's going to serve me. So he's a higher level. I'm, I'll, I'll save those 12 apostles because they were top notch. But someone who continues to sin and someone who makes mistakes, those lower echelon peasants of life, the gospel's not for them. See, this is very important because at that time, there was a, a mindset of a spiritual elitism you know, this Gnosticism, higher knowledge, they believed that they had been enlightened more and they were more deserving of this thing called the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not just for any one group or category. For anyone on the planet, the whole world, Jesus paid the price. For whosoever will believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And it's very important because it's, it's, whoever receives his invitation receives the gift. If they'll just say, I I need that. It's a fascinating thing. Moving on to verse three. Now this, by this, we know that we know him if we can keep his commandments. Don't be a legalist. Don't be out of context. Let this flow, these 11 verses we're looking at. But understand the simplicity that obeying God is an expression of love. Because as you get to know him, You learn more about him, you understand his forgiveness, his patience, his kindness, his mercy, his grace. You long for more of that. You actually long to even be like that. You know he's loving and you know these things and you will desire to be like him. Christ-like, we could say. Let's toggle once again back to John. Specifically chapter 15, verse 9. Jesus' message to his disciples, to you and me. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. See, there's a Christ-likeness being referenced here. It's not work. You're not doing it to gain the relationship. It's because you're in the relationship. You're responding with love because you're learning what love is. And religion actually interferes with that. Religion removes the intimacy and replaces it with duty. So then we have to do things because we know we should. But ultimately, look at what Jesus is saying. Listen, you know, as I kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. So he's referencing himself, not not in any way to create a uh, high mark, but rather to show this is what love looks like. You can't say you know the Father, but you don't walk in the ways of the Father. You're not actually being honest with yourself. Moving back to chapter 2 of 1 John, we will return back to John in a moment, but in verse 4. So verse 3, we know we know him, we keep his commandments because of the... Let me say one, let me interject one here. So my dad when I was a kid, he expected us to take care of our stuff. And so me and my older brother, we're really good at breaking bicycles because we like motorcycles. And so when you like motorcycles, and we had them even at 10, 11 years old, you ride a bicycle like it's a motorcycle. But that doesn't always work out well. And things get broke off. Well, dad expected us to take care of things but there was a point where dad would not let me use the electric grinder. And what a jerk. You know how long it takes to hacksaw through something? And here he would come out in the garage and put these glasses on, and I don't know if he couldn't see good or what, and then these gloves, and he'd just grind through the bike and then he'd weld the frame back up. I'm like, Jesus, how come dad won't let us use those? See, I didn't realize the glasses were for protection of his eyes. And the reluctance to, to let us do those things is because we hadn't grown, we didn't know. And later I learned he didn't let me do those things because he was looking out for me. And as I realized that, I said, like, man, I, I want to do it the way dad does. I'd see him magically take things that were too broken and he'd hit it with a grinder and clean things up a little bit and take this thing that's not very common anymore called a stick welder and he'd just weld this thing up and i like, man, that's amazing. I wanted, to be, I wanted to learn that. But you see, there's a point where I had to get past. He's not withholding from me. I'm, I'm learning. As I got to know him, I wanted to be more like him. How much greater do we see the spiritual truth in our lives where we want to be like the Father? So carrying that through, we say in verse 4, if he's, He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth's not in him. It's too harsh for contemporary conversation. We need a probably a more contemporary rela- relation, or I mean the translation that changes the pronouns and goes with these and they's and whatever. But, I, you know, I'm being a wise guy. Because quite honestly, this is just straightforward. It's so simple. If you say you know him, but you don't want to be anything like him, you're actually lying to yourself. And, it, and it's actually hurting you. The truth is actually not in you. You're not, it's not saying you're not born again. It's saying that you're not, you're not, you're not learning from the truth that's been given to you. In this area of your life, you're choosing stupid. And like I say, to start out dumb on something, that's, I don't have a, we all are in some areas. We just don't have to stay there and realize, man, if I'm really a Christian and I'm walking with him, I don't have to go to church, I don't have to give, I don't have to do these things. I get to be like the Father and follow the example of Jesus. I get to learn these things. Whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is completed and made manifest in a perfect way, the way you can see that, in him. By this we know that we are in him. I know as a young Christian, I'm absolutely certain of this, things that I knew about myself that none of you would have known, because my wife didn't even know. But there's little motives and thoughts and these things in my head that have always been there. And yet as a man in my 20s, those things started being offensive to me. I realized I didn't like that way of, that I would say something or do something and others wouldn't call me out on it cuz maybe they didn't pick up on it. But here's what was happening. Because I was born again, God's teaching me really, Dan. Did you did you hear what you said? Do, do, think about those thoughts that you kept to yourself because no one could tell. Or the thing, what you were looking at because you had gl- your glasses on, sunglasses, nobody could tell what you're looking. But guess what, between you and me, did you really? And then I found myself going, man, God, I don't like that. The sin that he was revealing caused me to want to be more like him than to embrace those things previously. And I had to be honest and I had to say, okay. I, I want, And I knew, so here's what happened. I let God deal with those things, and my desire started changing. Those manifestations, those expressions were now behind me more. They were more in the dark as I'm learning to walk in the light. And it's what we call spiritual growth. We're maturing, we're growing in our relationship with him. Now, it says there in uh, verse 7, brethren, I write no new commandment to you. And then in verse 8, again, a new commandment. Well, which is it? You guys read that and go, well, make up your mind. Is it, is it a new one or is it an old one? Well, let, let's realize that when he says, I write no new commandment to you, we can consider initially, you would think logically, of course, who's the original audience? Who's he writing this to? The first century church the first century church, there was, the, he's not breaking out a new thing. They've known this since they heard of the gospel, since they learned of the proof of the resurrection, since they, you know, literally received the good news. It hasn't changed. It's the same thing they've been told. And you could also take it even a little further in that you would realize what is God's command to us? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. This is not new. But yet we're gonna see Jesus also does emphasize there is a new way to apply this old rule. Not a rule, this this reality of, of a life that you were changed by God. Let's go to John chapter 13. In John chapter 13, Jesus made a declaration. He actually gave you and I a new commandment. A new commandment I give to you. That you love one another as I have loved you, you also love one another. By this, all the world will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Love is not a new commandment, agreed? It was a known commandment, it was what we were to do. But Jesus says it's a new commandment. You love one another as I have loved you. Because, see, what Jesus modeled was a new way of life or of love lived out. And it was confusing because it was, it was across all the social boundaries. He would meet a Samaritan woman at the well and talk to her. And his own disciples go, what is he doing talking to a woman, especially that one? And if you know the story. You can dig into it. And here he spoke with her. And, and he, he, a woman touches him. Who had, she had a flow of blood for like 12 years. And she touches him. Well, she was unclean, according to the Levitical law, but she touched him. And Jesus says, he stops the crowd because there was an urgent need that he needed to meet. He stops the crowd and says, who touched me? And Peter leans over to somebody, I'm thinking, who didn't touch him? And the crowd is pressing in, everything's going on. But see here, Jesus, he crosses all these lines. He shows a new way of love. And people are awakened like, man, this is unbelievable. It's not like the Pharisees and the religious people. He believes these things. He lives these things, and he speaks these things. It says, with authority, like he is all in on this. And he tells you and I to love one another. By this, all will know that you're my disciples. And I think we should just congratulate one another and our ancestry for the last 2,000 years because clearly the whole world knows that the defining distinctive of the church is they're so gracious and loving. Thank you. (laughs) There's no way that you would say, well, the church historically, I I can just say this about Christians, they're loving. Sadly, that's not the factual, actual declaration. But this is what he tells us. This is how all will know that you're mine, you'll love the way I love. So that's why I know we still got a lot to learn in regards to this love. We've got a lot to take hold of. Let's go back once again to say maybe first John chapter two. It said in verse eight, we just referenced it, the darkness is passing away and the true light's already shining. You may be thinking, Well, I I hear other teaching and I I've heard even from this place, this person that the world's getting darker. It is, but not in your life, not in my heart. As we grow in Christ, the darkness is dimming because the light is growing. When we grow in this relationship, when we're maturing spiritually, you see things differently than even other people read the headlines because the Holy Spirit's illuminating, enlightening enlightening you and teaching you the word of God. Now in verse nine, he says, he who is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there's no dark, no cause for stumbling in him. My mom, (coughs) excuse me, said something to me as a young boy. My mom was not yet a believer, what didn't happen till decades later. But the time she said this, she didn't realize she was actually teaching a bit of a biblical truth. See, you can love people and not like the way they do things. Do you understand that? You can love people and not like the way they do things. Mom said it this way. Mom had this move, and so only a few of you really know this move. You know what this is? No, you guys are looking like I don't, you don't know. She's taking her shoe off. She's locked and loaded. That thing's going airborne in a moment. You know what I mean? So when she did this, you know, she's just, she's just warning you, safety's off. And so she's like this, Danny, I love you but right now I do not like you. And what she was conveying, I don't like what you're doing. I love you as my son. And I want to nurture you and correct you and to bless you. But what you're doing, I do not like. See, if the body of Christ, if we could realize, you know, there's things in this right now. Here's just a second. I I I did this for service and nobody left. But just look at the different people in here. Don't Don't be rebels. Well, look around. Some of you are stiff-necked. Learn to turn. Look around. Okay, you see a few people. I'm going to guess you just looked at someone, possibly, that does things different than you, and you don't really like the way they do it. Some of you, it was your spouse. You just don't like the way they do it. And guess what? As you do that, you c- that can actually grow. If you don't realize, it's okay. It is okay to do things differently when you're you're united on the essentials. It's necessary to do things different, to have a broader understanding and a greater strength, to be able to do things differently. It's okay to have differences. Just don't let those little differences lead to division and even hatred. You know, we're so... This little things can get us off track. So, you know there's people that will actually present forward the notion that Ford is better than Chevy? (laughs) That's what I thought. Silly. Crazy. There's other people that say the University of Idaho Vandals, uh, they're better than the Boise State Broncos. This sounds silly, doesn't it? People will argue and even fight over the most ridiculous things. Absolutely ridiculous. Let me get it straight so you understand. And don't come back later and say, well, it's actually Dodge. No, here's the thing. You've got nothing invested in the company. You only have the product. You don't hold stocks in General Motors. Well, you do because you're a taxpayer. But that's another, another thing I won't get into right now. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? It's a silly allegiance that's carried over because probably your parents there's very few in here that are mechanics that actually know that this design's better than that design. Most of our allegiance is what we grew up and were trained under. Most of our sports teams are geographic. Some people did go to a college, and they're loyal to the college because you know they've, they've got a little bit of a, a real-life investment, so to speak. But most team association is because you live in Cleveland, so you like the Browns. And you may, may fight somebody who's a Bengal fan because, you know, that, you see what I'm saying? Those actually, it sounds so silly, doesn't it? But it leads to division. You know, there, the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, there is one body, one baptism, one Lord, one Spirit. There's one body of Christ. Do you know there's only one true church in Mountain Home? There is one, it is the church of Jesus Christ. The body, now there are several gatherings and I believe there's several gatherings that honor God and express a love for the Lord and teach his word. Sadly, there's some that do not. But you see my point, there's one body. We just gotta stop focusing on the differences. And, and, and you know, I've seen some things that I just, I just, I just shake my head. Maybe that's, I've just shared them. So here's something I'll, I'll share with you and I'm gonna read responses. So try not to be too stoic. It's a lighthearted example, but I believe it's an important example. We have a a holiday coming up, Thanksgiving. Costco sells these amazing pumpkin pies, agreed? They're amazing. They're big, they're tasty, they're perfect. So you're all gathered together, and when the pumpkin pie gets out, before it's cut, As it's just beautifully sitting there on the table, I want you to cut out an abstract shape off the side of the pie, partly towards the middle. Just go crazy and just cut this weird piece of pie out and take it. Now, some of you just freaked out because the OCD in you just said, You can't do that. There's not been a triangle. A triangle fits on a round plate better. You just have messed up our whole holiday. You will never be invited to Thanksgiving again. Do you know, Mr. Trianglehead, what you do with that pie? You put it in your mouth and mash it. So how silly of an example is it? I mean, seriously, we can hate people over the silliest things. Now, do not do that on Thanksgiving just to torque somebody, okay? Get a different pie, do it on a non-holiday, and have fun with it. But you see my point. Something so simple. And and if you're honest, you'd be going, man, I would... My kid did that? uh, Seriously? Really? That is probably a pretty vivid picture of some of the differences in the body of Christ that have led to division hatred and murder it's just not be it shouldn't be you shouldn't hate if i was to say to you you know I, i've used that example because it, it light, takes lightly it brings down lightheartedly the truth that we all tend to hate we just don't call it that or if we realize that like i can accept that i'm just different they do things different now we're okay we can d- move along but most of the time we won't admit that we hate and you know, the hatred leads to, this is this, this spoken of there, it leads to pursue with hatred. So in other words, the pie cutter person who's so abstract, you're going to now pick out their other problems. You're going to notice other things, because this little thing is an indifference to you. And the next thing you know, you don't associate with them. And you don't invite them to something. Because guess what's happening? We're giving room for hatred to grow, I don't have to do a sermon on hatred. You just catch the news. You can call it all these other cool topical things and enlightenment and all this stuff. It's hatred. It's an unwillingness to see the love and the kindness of people no matter who they are. What do you do when you see that welling up within you? You you still are steaming about the pumpkin pie. (laughs) Well, it's really simple. Confess our sins, for he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's a private thing. It's a personal thing, but it's an important thing. God, I don't know why I got so keyed up over that. I don't know why I got wound up over the forward comment. I don't understand why these things trip my trigger. But I don't like that. I want to grow. I want to know you more. I want to live according to your love. In Romans chapter 15... Taking that thought and the awareness that we tend to be this way in Romans chapter 15 verses 5 and 6. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another. According to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That God would teach us what it means to grow closer to him and all these other things start getting cleaned up. Thank